You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our friends at MyBookie, where you can bet on anything, anytime, anywhere and all new users who create a new account can use the promo code UGA today to get a 100% deposit bonus on your first deposit you literally will not find a better deal anywhere out there guys so take advantage of this promotion while you can through the month of September as you guys know I'm your host Tyler and today I've got my co-host Curtis here with me to recap Georgia's 49-3 obliteration of the 11th-ranked Oregon Ducks yesterday in Atlanta. And, man, it was a glorious sight to behold there inside of Mercedes-Benz Stadium as the Dogs kicked off the 2022 season in about as good a style as you possibly can. I mean, really, guys, is there a better way to open a new season? I don't know, man. I don't know. And, of course, I knew it all along. I saw the blowout coming a mile away, never had a doubt, never once did I come on here and say 17 points was just too much considering the circumstances of this game. I mean, guys, I would never do that. Never, never would I ever dream of doing something like that. But in all seriousness, when you're wrong, hey, I mean, this is what you like to be wrong about. And even though it was a laugher of a game, which it certainly was, There are a ton of things to break down with it being the very first game of the season and, of course, our first chance to see this version of the Georgia Bulldogs in action. So for our newer listeners, and I guess also for you longtime listeners who might need a little bit of a reminder because it has been a while. It's been about eight months since our last in-season episode. What we do each week for our recap episodes is that we break it down into two parts, basically. We have... These official recap episodes like today, where we're going to bring you our instant reactions and take more of a a big picture look at the games. And then on Tuesdays, Charlie is going to be on here with me, and we will run our mailbag episodes, which give you guys a chance to ask us all of your most pressing questions coming out of the past week's games. And And like anything else, anything else you want us to talk about, that's open season as well. And those episodes, they give us some time to kind of go back and rewatch the games a couple of different times to give you a more detailed breakdown of specific players, plays, calls, all those kinds of things. So send those questions in. You can send them to us on Twitter. That's at glory underscore UGA. You can just tweet us. You can DM us. Those are open to you guys. 
You can find us on Instagram. Just look up Glory UGA Podcast. And you can also email us if that's easier for you. That's gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. So several different options for you guys to get those questions to us, whatever works best for you. But all right, Curtis, there are a number of things, my friend, that we can start this conversation with. But I want to open with the offense because holy hell, yes, the eight months between games might very well have led to me suffering a relapse of our familiar old Georgia syndrome from the past couple years. So, yeah, I, I, I was wrong about the spread in this game. I'll own that. But saying that, I did spend all offseason screaming from the mountaintops that this was going to be the best Georgia offense in program history. And, I mean, it's only one game, but seven touchdowns and seven drives later, I'm feeling pretty damn good about that prediction, Curse. I mean, we're talking 49 points in basically three quarters of play, which could have easily been 60-plus points, easily. 571 total yards, which could have easily been about 700 if we wanted it to be. An ungodly 9 of 10 on third downs, zero turnovers, 9.2 yards per play. And yes, again, it's only one game, and you don't want to overreact. It's like G-Day, like, you have to be very careful of overreacting to the first time you get to lay eyes on this team. But, I mean, dude, what the hell? Let me overreact to this. And, Curtis, we were – I mean, I guess the easiest way to sum it up is we were basically able to do whatever we wanted to on offense in this Oregon defense. So, I guess my first question is, how were we able to be that dominant offensively against the Oregon team with a defensive head coach and Dan Lanning, who we have a lot of respect for, and what I believe to be – multiple future first-round draft picks. So, Curtis, how were we able to have that much success week one against this Oregon defense? I think the one thing that stands out to me the most is when you look at our offense is, I mean, yes, Brock Bowers is Brock Bowers, but you can spread the ball to any one person. There's playmakers all across the field, and I think that's what's going to make us very dangerous offensively this year is that you can't key on just one person. Um, I mean, and if you were watching the game, especially in the first half and in, in the third quarter with Stetson, there were times where the first or second option was covered, but yet we still had our third and fourth option. We're still playmakers that if we got the ball to them, they're going to make something happen. And I think that's what's why our offense was able to just do whatever we wanted is first off, we were in sync. And then just the, the, the volume of playmakers we have out there is going to be hard for someone to match up with uh, numbers wise on defense. And yeah, Curtis, that, that was my whole point all offseason. And I don't know how well of a job I did articulating that, but when I looked at the, the, the possibilities for this offense coming into this season, I'm looking at Kenny McIntosh, who you and I both were very high on coming this season. We felt he was going to be that guy. We talked about how, how we felt, honestly, he was probably better than James Cook. And we'll see about DeAndre Swift. Curtis, you know, my guy Josh and I, we were talking last night. We were texting back and forth. And, um, you know, I, I posed the question. It's like, hey, is is – is Kenny better than DeAndre Swift? Kurt, what, did you, what would you say to that right now? And it was only one game, but what would you say to that? I think he may be the better receiver um, and the best all-around, better all-around back. But right now, I still think DeAndre Swift was a better pure runner. Well, he, he had a larger sample size. Hey, look, I mean, I'm not ready to say Kenny is DeAndre Swift yet. I mean, DeAndre Swift was a borderline yeah. first-round draft pick. I can't say that yet about Kenny. But here's what I told Josh, and I'll say it to everybody out there. I am open to the possibility as this season continues to progress that he could become better than DeAndre Swift. I don't think he's there yet. I don't think we can say that yet, but the skill set's pretty similar, Curtis. And I think you're right. I think as a pure receiver, 
I mean, it's tough to not say Kenny right now. I know that's one game, one game. But, I mean, we're talking about 170, what, 117 yards receiving in one game. Led the team in, re- in, rece- in receptions and in receiving yards. So, well, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Again, it's one game. It's natural for us to overreact. Let's not overreact too much. But back to my point, I felt that we had, you know, guys like Kenny McIntosh, Ladd McConkie, A.D. Mitchell, obviously the tight end room that we have. I felt I felt Stetson was going to be better this year. I felt a guy like Harris Jackson have a bounce back year. Although last, you know, last night wasn't necessarily – his day, but that day could be coming for him. I think we just have so many weapons to ground. You know, talk about Kendall Milton as well. Honestly, Chris, when you look at this offense, I, I, I look at this offense, I'm like, hey, man, like we have like duffel bags full of weapons. And you're exactly right. We used every single one of them. And it wasn't, you know, Stetson wasn't in a situation where we had to like rely on like Brock Bowers, which we did at times last year. We weren't in a situation where we had to rely on like Nick Chubb and Tony Michelle to carry the entire offense. We were in complete control of this game. We were able to just get the ball out and distribute it to different weapons all over the field. And whatever the Oregon defense tried to do, whoever they tried to take away, we had an answer for that because we have guys all over the field at different positions who can do different things that can all hurt the opposing defense. And when you have a setup like that, when you have personnel like that, that's tough, man. It's very, very difficult to defend when you've got that many players, that quantity of players that can go out and be the guy on any given day. But when you look at it from like a schematic standpoint, Curtis, let's get in like what Todd Munkin was able to do. I think Todd Munkin's a mad scientist, and that was on full display yesterday. From a schematic standpoint, what were we able to do that gave Oregon so many issues? Well, to me, what I feel like we did more than anything was we found the zones. Um, and because I, I mean, we didn't try to throw the ball downfield as much, but we were finding pockets in their zones and kind of just sitting down on them. But at the same time, we were also just drawing up great plays. I mean, the one play that really sticks out to me is you think back to that, uh, the offensive line held up, but the, you know, the slower delaying cross route to Brock Bowers, we were doing whatever we wanted, but we were, I think more than anything. And what stood out to me the most was the way that we used tempo and everything to keep them on their heels. There was no predictability, which in Georgia past, I mean, there are many times you'd be like, I know what play's coming, but there was no predictability. We had them on roller skates and they just could never get comfortable. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, and we kept them entirely off balance. That goes back to what we were saying with when you have the quantity of players we have, the number of options that can all be the number one guy at any given moment. It's really hard. Oregon can't, you can't defend everything. And you have, you have to make choices, right? You have to make choices on what you're going to give an offense. And some offenses aren't able to take advantage of what you give them. This offense, however, just the reality is, I mean, at least through one game, and I don't think it's going to change, barring some crazy spate of injuries, we're going to be able to take advantage of whatever a defense gives us because, again, we have players all over the field that can do that. But schematically speaking, I mean, I don't want to get crazy off the rails of this, but, you know, we came out, Curtis, obviously we used a lot of 12 personnel. We didn't use a ton of 13 personnel, but a lot of 12 personnel. Darnell and Brock were the guys. They had the two tight ends. And they tried to match. I was very curious to see what Lanning was going to do to match our 12 personnel. I felt like we were going to run that like 50-plus percent of the time because that's what we did last year. And they matched it with their base defense. They, they essentially had three linebackers on the field, and we torched them when they tried to defend our 12 personnel with their base defense. I mean, they tried man. You mentioned zone. They, they went to heavy zone late in the game, you know, I guess after the first couple of scores. They tried man, but we torched them with that. Then they went to zone, but we were, like you said, we were able to find the holes in the zone. They couldn't get Stetson on the ground. They had a couple of times where they had some free runners at him, but that's, you got to give Stetson credit. That's what he brings. It's one of the things he brings to the table. He was able to escape the pressure and continue and make plays. 
case in point, the touchdown to Ladd McConkey. So really, when you look at what, what we were trying to do schematically, we were able to go out there with our two tight ends and force them into the base personnel, and they simply could not match up in the passing game with that personnel group. And that's what, again, going back to what I was saying all offseason long, I mean, we're boiling this down to its most basic form, but schematically that's what we were doing. And this is what I was saying, guys. We have all these different weapons that can allow us to go 12 personnel, and you have to match that with heavy defensive personnel. If you do that, we will be able to match up with you in the pass game, and you can't stop us. And if you try to bring smaller, shiftier, faster guys up there to, to defend the pass, you come out with your nickel package, we're going to run the ball down your throat. And they just didn't have an answer. It's as simple as that. Again, like we just have duffel bags full of weapons and we were able to use all of them. We had a quarterback that's in complete control who knew where to go with the football. Stetson looked like, and we'll get to Stetson here in a minute, Curtis, going to him with a little bit more detail, but he looked like the best version of Stetson Bennett, which is again, kind of what I expected coming to this season with a full off season of him taking the reps as the number one quarterback, which is not a luxury he's ever had to this point in his career. So Honestly, it was a pretty simple game plan, and we were able to take advantage of it. One more thing I'll throw in here, and this is one of the things I was talking about on the preview show. I felt the way to attack this Oregon defense was to go to the air early and often because their front seven, I think their front seven is still pretty good. They have two inside linebackers. They're probably going to be first-round draft picks and Justin Flo and Noah Sewell. Those guys are legit. Demons of line, pretty solid defensive of line. But the secondary, outside of Dante Main, he was fine. But outside of him, there are a lot of question marks in that Oregon secondary. And I felt with the weapons that we had in the past game that we would be able to exploit that. I wasn't sure we would do that because that's just generally speaking not what we do. And that will take us to our next question. But, I mean, that to me coming, coming into this game, and I'm just a novice dude, all right? I'm just a novice guy. But I felt that was the obvious way to attack him. I and clearly Todd Bunker felt the same way. We had a lot of success early on, so why would you – why would you go away from that? So we just kept going and going and, and throwing the football and carving them up. And we did to the, to the tune of 49 points, which could have been easily 60 plus. But Chris, the production itself was eye-opening enough. But beyond that, this is kind of what I was getting to a second ago. What was even more stark, in my opinion, was the way in which we went about that production. So let me give you a couple of numbers here, Curtis. So the last two years, first two years of Todd Munkin as our offense coordinator. In 2020, 55% run in 2021, 57% run, all right? Well, I know this is very small sample size. One game. We don't want to overreact, but this is all we have to work with right now in 2022. Yesterday, we were, when it was all said and done, 59% pass to, what was that, a 41% run. But with the starters in, we were 64.5% pass with our starters over the course of the first six drives. We were in five wide receivers routinely. We, like you mentioned, Curtis, we ran with some tempo at times. So the popular narrative has always been that Kirby Smart is his offense's own worst enemy. You know, that he's an old school defensive guy, you know, who would never let his offense evolve, that he's the regulator on his own offense's engine. But, Kurt, what does Saturday's performance and the way we did it say about that narrative at this point? Um, I think the biggest thing is I think you have to sit here and say that it it kind of does look like the narrative is set to change. And I know it's one game and people are going to say we're overreacting, but I think the one thing that stood out to me the most was Kirby, Kirby smart in the press conference after was like, who would not want to play in this offense? And I think that they've heard enough of this negative recruiting, especially bringing in BMAC and people like that, trying to change the recruiting. And a lot of it still hasn't changed. And I think it's kind of hit home. And not only that, where we want to change narrative, but we finally have a quarterback who has been in the system. Um, 
I mean, I know JT was going in last year, but I think the last year we probably would have thrown more if we had JT healthy the whole time to start the season. And even George Pickens to start the season weren't starting with so um, so many guys injured and inexperienced to start the year. But this year we have more of our full stable receivers. We have a quarterback who's coming in also with experience and a lot of experience when you look at all of what Stetson did last year. And that right there is the formula for allowing you to be more open uh, with your offense, like what we saw Saturday. Do you think at any point in Kirby Smart's tenure that was true, this narrative that he was the one holding the offense back? Do you think that was ever true while he was here at Georgia since he's been here? I don't know if it was like a direct order, but you've even heard Tom Munkin say he he doesn't say not to, but he says about being in in control and not taking unnecessary chances. And with the quarterback situation we've had in the past, and we haven't always had a great stable receivers, it's hard to be, you know, wide open throwing it around when – it's we and we've also had such great running backs when you go back to Sony and Chubb and right. Swift and Holyfield and all those things where it made more sense and we we're still getting big yardage with those other guys that why would you take the unnecessary chance when that could actually lose you a game more than it could win you back then yeah I will say you know Kirby's first couple of years I think when he came over from Alabama I think at least to some degree, it was true. I think he had especially a knockout. I, I, think, I think year one, because he knew he didn't, especially quarterback-wise yeah. with uh, Fra- or Easton. And then you had their court, you had um, Chubb, uh, Chubb and Michelle. And then even in year two, you had Jay Fromm, a freshman quarterback, but you had two senior running backs. Like It would not shock me, especially those first two years being that way. That's exactly what I was going to say, Curtis. I think, I think it's had, I, to some degree, his first year or two, I think he, you know, he that's, that's what he grew up in. That's what he knew, right? You play defense, you play great defense, you play complimentary offense, right? But I think a large part of it, if you look at, like, the history of Kirby Smart's time here as our head coach of Georgia, look at the situation that he's had to deal with offensively, right? You mentioned Jacob Eason as a true freshman, right, in 2016. Then you got Jay Fromm as a true freshman in 2017. You got Fromm back in 18. You got Fromm back in 19, but you had the James Coley disaster. And I'm, by the way, in 2018, our offense was elite. It was a top three offense in the country. No one wants to go back and look at that. But that go back and look at the numbers, guys. It 100% was. 2019 was a major reversion with the James Coley experiment, and that was on Kirby. That was a mistake. That did not work out. But to his credit, he fixed that in one year. I was a very good friend of his. He fired him and said, you're out of here. And he goes and gets Todd Munkin, right, with aspirations to do something better. You'll get Jamie Newman, right? You get Jamie Newman who's going to change the offense. Like, what is what are we going to do with Jamie Newman? We have dual-threat quarterback. Like, what's this going to look like? You get Todd Munkin likes to throw the ball to win. But then, obviously, Newman leaves. JT Daniels, you get him in the transfer portal. He's injured, can't come in, can't play for – more than half the year. So you rely on the former walk-on Stetson Ben, who's basically taking no real snaps with the ones. He has to come in and relieve Dewan Mathis and save the day against Arkansas in week one that game. And he's the guy until, you know, JT's back healthy. Stetson gets knocked down the Florida game. JT does a couple – he had a couple of games where he was really, you know, moving the offense and we were far more explosive towards the end of 2022. Enter 2021, JT goes down early with the injury. Then you got Stetson, who, again, had basically no reps of the ones, was an afterthought, wasn't even the number two quarterback coming into the season. And you had all the injuries that we had at wide receiver, as you mentioned, Curtis, with George Pickens. Jermaine Burton was hurt for parts of the year. Kyrus Jackson was never 100% last year. Our top two receivers for several games in the middle of the season were were a true freshman, A.D. Mitchell, and a redshirt freshman, Lad McConkey. Yeah, you have Brock Bowers, fantastic, amazing player, but a true freshman tight end who's your leading receiver. So I think if you look at all the situation, all the situations he's been in, really since he's been here, Curtis, it, you kind of get the – you understand why we leaned on the run because that's what our personnel said that we were able to do. We had great offensive line play, and we had elite running backs. We didn't have the elite receivers. 
We didn't have the the upperclassmen elite quarterbacks. We didn't have – I know people say, oh, well, Justin Fields. Okay, sure, whatever. You can go back and, and we can talk about that. I'm not going to do that on this show. But the personnel said this is how this offense is going to be effective. And honestly, if you look at our numbers outside of 2019, our offenses under Kirby Smart, I guess 2016 and 2019, have been really good, have been really, really good. I, I, I said all offseason too, not only was this, this offense going to be the best offense in Georgia history – I thought our offense last year was elite, which no one really wanted to talk about, but I felt it was. But once it all came together, you have Stetson Bennett back as a returning starter. who had a full offseason of number one reps under his belt as the leader, as the guy. We have weapons upon weapons upon weapons, whether it's running back, whether it's tight end, whether it's receiver, having, I think, a better offensive line last year. Now we have all the pieces and he has the offensive coordinator. I think when he hired Todd Monkey, that was the sign of, hey, I want to change things. We just weren't able to in the first two years. But now that all the pieces have come together, now I think you're seeing what we what Kirby has wanted us to be at least for a couple of years. It was just, you know, honestly, it was circumstances that conspired against us to keep us from going all in on that. But now that we have those pieces and things have kind of fallen together like we want them to, now I think you're seeing what this offense, what we want this offense to be and what it's going to be moving forward. But, I mean, Curtis, let's talk about Todd Munkin for a second. Because I know we're talking about Kirby Smart here, and then, you know, we'll see the one keeping the offense back, holding the offense back. But, Curtis, how good is Todd Munkin? I mean, honestly, where does this guy rank? Because he doesn't get the national love as one of the top offensive coordinators in the country. In your opinion, how good is Todd Munkin? Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Todd Munkin's actually been the best hire Kirby Smart has made in his entire tenure at Georgia. I don't, I don't disagree with that, Curtis. I really don't. I mean, and the reason a bunch I of great hires. Is, the reason I say that is defensive coordinator-wise, we've had great defensive coordinators, don't get me wrong, but I was never worried about defense when you had Kirby Smart. Like, even if it was someone exactly. he had to train up, I mean, look at Dan Lane. Like, Kirby Smart was always going to be there. So, like, that was the position you could – we can get away with some stuff. You know, so we have some leeway at D.C. But O.C., We've seen it. Like, even when we were talking about all those situations with Kirby and, you know, the first couple of years with Cheney and um, Coley, they were never to the level of what Todd Munkin is. And last year, losing JT and going with Stetson, that takes an amazing offensive coordinator. I was talking to someone about this yesterday um, on Saturday. It takes an amazing mind to be able to shift a completely different game plan that you've been working on for eight months yep. and fit it to fit on someone and still not miss a beat and have a great offense and a high and a very efficient, high prolific offense, offense that we did last year. Yeah, and one that, and especially when we needed it, showed up and won us games. And I think that he, because think about it, since Kirby's taken over, the defense has always been good, but it was the offense that was at times yep. slacking behind, and now it feels like they're kind of finally yin and yang. Honestly, Curtis, going back to last year, as good as our defense was, and it was historically good, I don't think we win the national championship without Todd Munkin as our offense coordinator. I really don't. No, not at all. I mean, we would have probably gotten to the same point where we were, but we don't win, get over the mountaintop without him. I don't think we were able to with, – with what we had to deal with, the adversity we dealt with offense, losing George Pickens and have a mass unit of receiver. Offensive line, your, your best offensive lineman goes out – the first series of the first game you've got Stetson Bennett who was a walk-on who got no reps with the with the ones in the offseason and you he's now your starting quarterback you got to change your offense on the fly I mean what Todd Munkin was able to do and, and and not only were we just like good enough offensively again I will keep going back to we were as, as explosive as efficient as any offense in the country advanced metric after advanced metric will tell you that, guys. I'm not going to write them all off because we don't have time for that. But we were that good. And we would not have won the national title without Todd Munkin last year. 
And now that he's got the pieces to work with that he has this year, I mean, Curtis, the potential is scary for what this offense can be. Because, honestly, am, am I exaggerating? Like, honestly, tell me if I am. We could have scored 60-plus points on Saturday, couldn't we? Like, easily. Easily. And that's the thing that, like, I, I can't count the number of times I was watching games this weekend. And they're like, oh, you know, the offenses are always going to – it's going to give – got to give them a couple weeks before they're going to start hitting on cylinders. Well, we just changed that narrative and came out game one hitting on cylinders. Yeah, no, nah, not not for this Georgia offense. Not for this Georgia offense. So, I mean, dude, it's uh, it's looking good, man. I'm, I'm just so excited about what this offense can do. Because this – I mean, we'll see how good Oregon is. But I have respect for Oregon's defense. I mean, again, they have Dan Landing, a fantastic defense manager, head coach, at least two first-round draft picks on that defense. And they've got some guys that have been around for a minute. And they are very good front seven. And we were able to honestly move the ball and score it well. I mean, seven the first seven drives, seven touchdowns. Seven drives, seven touchdowns. I mean, that is scary, scary good in week one. But before we move on, I do want to remind you guys about my bookie. Winning season has officially returned along with the return of the college football season. And now with college football back in action, there are plenty of opportunities to win at my bookie. It doesn't matter if you're a season better or first timer. My bookie is going to be the one that gets you the most for your money with a double deposit bonus up to $1,000. All you have to do to claim your bonus is sign up today. I mean, do it right now, guys. Do yourself a favor and use the promo code UGA on your first deposit and you will instantly double your money with my bookie. This promotion doesn't last forever, guys. It goes through the month of September, so get on the action now while you can. I mean, it, it really is simple, guys. 100 bucks means 200 bucks in your account. $200 means $400 in your account. $500 deposit means $1,000 in your depo- in your account, and you can use your, the, that money to bet on anything, whether it's individual games, props, contests, whatever you're into, you can bet on it. My bookie was good to me this weekend, and I'm looking forward to continuing the momentum all season long, and I want you guys to join in on the action with me as well. So bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Curtis, let's go ahead and move on here for a minute. Uh, predictably, Curtis, you, I think you might know where we're going here. There are some listeners out there that want your reaction to Stetson Bennett's career day 
25 of 31, 368 yards passing, 11.9 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, a rushing touchdown, no interceptions, 97.3 QBR rating. I mean, Curse, for a guy who so many people, and I'm not including you in this, Curse, but just people out there on social media everywhere who were spending the entire offseason competing in the mental gymnastics Olympics, trying to invent ways to tear down Stetson. That is one hell of an answer. So, Curtis, you were there in the bins with me on Saturday. What did you make of Stetson Bennett's performance? I mean, it was an amazing performance. There's no other way to put it. It felt like it was someone who was fully in control of the offense, and and that was just the feel I got from it, especially being there. You could see it the way he was – because there were some big plays, you know, that – I mean, they weren't. There were some big completions that were made where he was hitting the third or fourth read, and I think that that is – seeing that shows how he has grown as a quarterback. Um, I don't think he, in the years before, had really, you know, gone through his reads that well. Um, It was usually his first or second reading at times would stare them down or something. But this time he was scanning the whole field. If it wasn't there, he was moving on. He did a great job of um, throwing the ball away and just instead of taking unnecessary hits and doing things, he was someone that was in full control of the offense and was very, very comfortable. And, I mean – it was an amazing performance. I'm glad to hear you say that, man. I'm glad to hear you say that. Because I, I I mean you can't you can't not agree with that. I mean that it's just what it was. Well, I mean, I mean, 25, here's, 31. here's the thing. I've been I've I've been hard on him forever, but I've said like he has the chance to keep getting better, and that's what I wanted to see from him going into this year. I was like, you know, he finished the season well last year and let's see him continue to grow. I mean, like you said, his first offseason, he's been with the working with the guys as a number one. It it was there for him to go and take the, you know, take a hold of the opportunity and and get better. And he has done that. What was the most encouraging thing you saw from Stetson on Saturday? I think the two things I I mentioned, the reads and throwing the ball away. Um, You know, he's had, you know, some times in the past where he would maybe take some unnecessary hits or do something crazy. Um, But he, if it wasn't there, he just threw it away. And, you know, we lived to play another down because that, you know, that gunslinger mentality at times got him in trouble trying to force it when it wasn't there. And this time he just threw it away. And I think those two things were very encouraging and shows growth. And that's exactly where I was going to go. My biggest takeaway from this game in terms of Stetson Bennett's performance was, you know, we talked about this all off season, Kurt, or all last season. Every single game last year, I mean, literally every single game, there was always that one or two, like, boneheaded, what-are-you-thinking mistakes from Stetson. Every single game, right? And I love Stetson. I thought he – and I've had his back for most – at times last year, I, you know, I was, able, I, was, I was critical of him, especially for the SEC Championship game. But I, I, I gave Stetson, you know, his just do, I feel like, for most of the year. But, I mean, even I was admitting – yeah, there was a, a, a play or two every game where it's like, you know, dude, what do you think? Sometimes it hurt us, sometimes it didn't. But he didn't have those plays on Saturday. Not not one. Not one single play did he put a ball in harm's way. I guess you say the shovel pass, but that was more the design. That wasn't really a Stetson kind of thing. But this guy, as you mentioned, was in full, complete control, confident, understood to go where to go with the ball. If it wasn't there, he wasn't forcing it. He was seeing the field clearly. He was accurate. He was on time. He put the ball not only like – what on the guy, but he put him put the ball in a place to where they could catch the ball and continue to move upfield, which is when you can place the ball like that, that is going to help your offense tremendously because that is how you get those yards after catch. When they don't have to bend around, turn around, and catch a ball behind their back. He was putting the ball on guys, and they were he was hitting guys in stride and allowing them to continue to move after the catch. And we got guys that can make things happen after the catch, as you saw on full display. 
on Saturday. So Stetson, I mean, look, dude, if he can be that guy, and look, I'm not expecting to go 25 or 31, 368, 12 yards per attempt every single game. But if he can limit those, like, what are you thinking mistakes and cut them out of his game, this I think Stetson can be a big time college quarterback this season, Curtis. And that's my next question before we move on. How good can Stetson been to be this year, Curtis? Is he an elite quarterback? Are you ready to go there after Saturday? You know, I think he can because I think Saturday kind of showed more than anything is with Todd Munkin's mind and the way he can draw people open. I think he and Todd Munkin grouped together with I think our offensive line is actually being undervalued. Our offensive line is really, really good this year. Last year, his um, mobility was big and they say it was, you know, the, one of the big things in the decision factor. But we don't have to rely on it as much because you saw it. There were a lot of times where we kept the pocket clean for him for a good good couple seconds. And I think yep. with all that group together and the fact that he doesn't have to just target just one person and that he can go to any other option and it shows that he has confidence in all options, I think it, it's, that's the recipe for having an elite season. Yeah, I'm not ready to say Stetson is elite yet. And I, I know I'm, yeah. I'm the one who's supposed to have his back. But here's what I will say. It's kind of like with, with Kenny McIntosh. I'm, I'm not saying he's as good as or better than DeAndre Swift yet, but I'm open to that being the case if he continues on with this. I'll say the same thing with Stetson Bennett. He's on the right track. If he can continue to put together performances like this or anywhere in the range of this performance, then 100%. Because that was an elite performance. That's what I was saying. That was an elite performance, Curse. If he can do that with any sort of consistency, then yes, hell yes, 100%, he's an elite quarterback. But I need to see it more than just one small sample size. And, and this is a, a this is a, a big moment, right? Week one against a quality opponent. But I, I know we tend to overreact to week one. It's natural. I'm trying to pull back on that as much as I possibly can and just think about this rationally. But if he can continue to put up performances like that, of course he's elite. Those are elite numbers. That's what elite is. We'll just see if he continue doing that. If he does, then 100%. But uh, I just need to see it a, a little bit more, a little bit more. And I'll say one more thing about his mobility, curse before we move on, because I was watching – I'm not sure a lot of you guys watched the West Virginia pit game on Thursday night. And JT – I mean, I thought JT Daniels played well considering the pressure he was under in that game. But, Kurt, watching that game, don't you understand a little bit more what Coach Monk and what Coach Smart were saying in, in terms of why Stetson's mobility was such a factor in keeping that job last year? Absolutely. You and I were texting about that um, the next yeah. day, and you saw it. I mean, JT was JT was actually pretty good in that game when he was given he time. Receivers didn't help like, him out I mean, at all. Yeah, I, I, receivers he definitely didn't lose him the game. But no, he did not lose the game. But the, there were multiple situations, multiple snaps and and plays in that game where he was just a sitting duck. And, and sure, the offensive line could help him out more, of course. But he has no capability. It's just that simple. And he's and when you are playing in, in today's game. When defenses are putting such a premium on, on using simulated pressure and finding ways to, to get matchups to create pressure on the quarterback, you've got to have a guy that can escape pressure. You've got to have a guy that can extend plays and make plays with his legs. And, you know, got JT, God love him, man. And he, he did everything we ever asked him to do. This is not a shot at him at all, but I think you could saw why Stets was able to hold on to that job last year, despite not having the five-star status, his ability to extend plays and escape the pocket, escape pressure. That is really what allowed him to continue to hold that job last year. And now he's going to continue to have that this year. Now you add the, the other things on top of that, the accuracy, the control, the understanding of the game and where he wants to go with the football and what we want to do offensively. I think Stetson Bay can take that next step. I fully expected us to see the best version of Stetson this year. I just didn't know if that best version would be elite. But 
I think it very well could be. And look, guys, I know when you when I when you hear me say Stetson could be elite, you, people dismiss that. I mean, he's, he's a former walk-on. He's 5'11". He doesn't have the profile. I'm not talking about like Stetson being a first-round draft pick. I, I'm not an idiot. That's not going to happen. But in terms of being a college quarterback and producing at the college level, that's all I care about right now. And Stetson absolutely showed yesterday that he has the ability to be an elite college quarterback. NFL, whatever. That's on my radar. I don't care about that. I wish him the best. I care about what he can do for Georgia. And if yesterday was a sign of things to come, 100% he can be an elite quarterback. But All right, Curtis, one more thing before we move on to the defense. I just quickly want to circle back to the start of our conversation. I think this is going to be the best Georgia offensive program history. I've been on record saying that for months now. But, Curtis, how good is this offense in relation to the rest of the country in 2022? You know, I, I, I'm excited to see. I think after this week will give us a better feel because everyone's talking about Tennessee, but I think Pitt's going to be a good challenge for them, especially at the line of scrimmage. But I think when you look at what they did week one against the opponent who they played, it's hard to I think they're not one of the top five best offenses in the nation um, when you look at who they faced and what they did. Tennessee? No, Georgia. Um, oh, Georgia, you okay. play Oregon, and you do that, and, and to that – efficient with seven touchdowns and seven possessions and all those things you you can't sit here and say they're not one of the best five offenses in the nation when you take into account what they did and who they were playing with the with the information that we had to operate off of right now Curtis, it's hard to not say that i mean i don't think you came with a straight face now as we get more information we can change that opinion but right now all we can base it off is what we've seen to this point and right now i think this is i, I don't know if i can say the best offense in the country i think it's a top three offense in the country i think when it's all said and done this will be a top three offense I think at least a top five offense. That's my expectation. I think that's where we will be. And I think you saw that on Saturday. Here's one more question for you, Curtis, real quick, because I was thinking about this all day today. Could this Georgia offense be better than the Bama 2022 offense? Um, may not be statistically the same with like one or two players, but I, I don't know, man. Shock me, no. I'm just Look, saying. Bryce Bryce gonna, well, I'm saying I don't know if we're going to target how they, you know, Jameson this. The, oh, I don't the know if we'll have one guy that does that. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying, yeah. but I think everything else, yes. I think this George offense absolutely can be better than the Bama offense this year. And Bryce Young, like he's the X Factor, obviously, Heisman, reigning Heisman Trophy winner. He's legit. I mean, we know what he brings to the table. I think we have more weapons offensively. We clearly have a better tight end room. I, I don't honestly, after what we saw Saturday, and I was trying to keep quiet on this all offseason because I wanted to see it before I put it out there, I don't think it's crazy to say that we have better wide receivers. I don't think it's crazy uh, in terms of like production. Like we'll see. I know. What can you tell from Utah state? We'll see. I mean, I don't know if I'm ready to say that hundred percent, but I don't think it's crazy to, to think to like even to, to, to at least talk about it, I guess. And you look at what we have at running back. I think Kenny McIntosh is every bit the guy that Jameer gives us, if not even better offensive line. I like our offensive line. So I just, I'm not saying I'm going out hundred percent saying we're going to be better than Alabama offensively. But I also don't think it's crazy, and it would not shock me at all if we look up at the end of the season and see Georgia ahead of Alabama in most offensive categories. Just putting that out there. We'll see how, this, how the season progresses. But right now, maybe I'm on the, the, the week one high. I'll, I'll own that potentially, but I also don't think that's insane to at least broach the conversation. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. 
Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. And guys, we've got plenty more left to talk about. Before we get there, I do just want to take a minute to remind you about Alumni Hall. The countdown to kickoff may have expired, but Alumni Hall is still there going strong, and they are the go-to place for Georgia Bulldog gear and accessories. If you're looking for new game day gear, if you're looking for some tailgate gear, some stuff to decorate your home, your car, your office, whatever you want Georgia football-related, Alumni Hall has you covered. They've been my go-to stop for years, guys. Well, honestly, since they've opened, like I used to shop at different places before Alumni Hall opened a couple years back, but once they opened, it changed my life. And, I, and that's not an exaggeration, guys. Really, it changed my life because all the other places I used to go to get George gear, like they were kind of dead to me. Alumni Hall, they have everything you need. So shop today, guys, whether you're shopping for yourself, for the lady in your life, for your kids, it doesn't matter. Alumni Hall has it all because it's where the Bulldogs shop. All right, Curtis, it's time to talk some defense here. Now, you know, for the past eight months, the narrative has been, man, Georgia lost so much on defense. It's inevitable. They're going to take a step back on that side of the ball. You know, this team is going to have to be carried by its offense, at least early in the season while the defense gets its legs under it. Well, Curtis, uh, maybe not so much. Three points, 313 yards of offense. 4.6 4.6 yards per play allowed. That, that, was, that would have been good enough for top five last year. Just an awesome performance, but a very inexperienced defense. So what stood out to you the most about this defense on Saturday, Kirk? The one thing I'll say, which is it shouldn't be because it is Kirby Smart way he recruits, but you just sell the team speed, um, I yeah. think, was the biggest thing that stands out. Um, like the inside linebacker play, I think, left more be desired and things but the fact is there was no question of the just the pure speed and the size of those guys out there that they were there for, with a place to be made fly into the ball and I think when you have all that the rest will come well I mean this is kind of what you and I were saying and not just us but a lot of people follow the Georgia program we're saying all off seasons and people outside the program didn't understand this you know they just see what we lost in the NFL draft and I get that you know on the surface well Georgia can take a step back but it's like well you might not follow recruiting as closely as all we do, you know, guys like us who run Georgia podcasts, but uh, the dudes are there. You just don't know their names yet. But pretty quickly, you will know their names. Now, I did have some level of concern coming to this game because I felt like the Oregon offensive line was just drinking their entire team. It's a really, it's still a really good offensive line. I had some concerns about the front seven um, in terms of just experience. I mean, we know the talent was there, but experience and facing an offensive coordinator who's never really called plays before, kind of had to adjust things on the fly. Would there be uh, some issues with that? You know, and just guys like, you know, obviously Pop and Smile Mond and those kind of guys who had just not really played a lot for us. They can be able to do that in week one in their first like meaningful game experience. I had some questions there, but we were able to answer pretty much all those questions very, very quickly. And we're going to move the ball decently enough early in the game. We made, we made some, honestly, some game changing turnovers, some momentum changing turnovers. Malachi Starks, that insane interception. I mean, we were in we were never not in control of the game, but that took Oregon out, out of the game entirely. We were able to score 14 points off those two turnovers, and it was game over. Lights out, you know, midway through the second quarter. And they were just never able to do anything to get back into this game. But you and I, Curtis, we knew the names. We just needed to see it happen. The people around the country, you know, they see George losing all these players. And like, well, I mean, how can you possibly replace those guys? Like, yeah, I know those guys are really, really, really good. They are. And the guys we have are inexperienced, but they can play. They can run. They can move. You know, one thing I would say about this game too, Curtis, is I didn't, um, I didn't really understand what Oregon was trying to do offensively. 
I think you could see that this was Kenny Dillingham's first game calling plays. Because me, from the outside looking in, the novice that I am, I look at the matchup. This is one of the reasons I was like at least moderately, mildly concerned about this game. Thought it would be like a 10- to 14-point game, and maybe not a 17- to 46-point game. But I felt like they might have the ability to run the football on us a little bit with that offensive line, some experience in our front seven. But in this game, Curtis, they didn't really even try to do that. They didn't try to run the ball. I, th- I felt like that was their best chance, to run the ball right at us, which I know is contrary to what you normally would do to Georgia defense, but this is you know a little bit of a different situation. But instead, you talk about their, our team's speed defensively, Curtis, which was on full display because – Oregon allowed it to be on full display. They were trying to play sideline to sideline with us. They were trying to spread the ball out, get the ball in the playmaker's hands on the perimeter and let them go make plays. But that's not the way to attack our defense, especially an experienced defense. You know what all these young guys can do? They can run. They can fly the football. And that's what they were doing all game long. I felt Oregon should have come out early in the game and trying to establish a run and get play action off of that because I felt that's where they could have potentially had an advantage. And I feel like Kenny Dillingham, his first game calling plays, kind of dropped the ball there. And it's game one. I'm sure he'll get better. But I, I just never really understood all game long what they were trying to do. And they never really adjusted that. Now, I know when you have Bo Nix at quarterback, you know, it might limit your options because well, this poor guy, man, we just have dominated him his entire career. But I, I didn't really quite like what Oregon was trying to do to us. I mean, I liked it because I felt that was playing right into our hands. But if I'm an Oregon fan, I would have some serious questions about what they were trying to do from a game plan perspective. But Chris, Chris, here's my next question when it comes to – this defensive performance. Are we really as good on defense as this performance against Oregon would suggest? Or is this maybe just a function of Bo Nix and the first game as a play caller for a guy like Kenny Dillingham? I think it's a mixture of both. I think our defense is going to be that good. I mean, it could take some special te- a special team to really expose us defensively with what we have. Um, but at the same time, I think that their offensive game plan was terrible. I mean, like we, like you were saying, it should have been a 46-point game. They should have had, you know, some more touchdowns or some more yarded, things yeah. like that. Um, but I still don't think that there's going to be anyone that's going to, you know, put us in our place type team either. I mean, Tennessee's going to challenge us for sure. They'll challenge us. Um, so I think who else will be on the schedule, Curtis? I mean, offensively, I mean – well, I mean, South Carolina, I don't even know. I don't know about South Carolina right now. We'll see. I don't know. Tennessee will challenge us. Mississippi State, with the, just it's just so different than what we face. Potentially could be a little bit of a challenge. But outside of that, curse, there really any, like, I mean, maybe Florida a little bit with, with their ability to run the football with, with Anthony Richardson at quarterback. Maybe that's a little bit more of a challenge than we thought coming this season. But I think it's a challenge we're up for, honestly. So I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I think – I think we are going to be that good on defense. And the thing is, of course, this is game one. If there was ever going to be a game where you're going to catch us, it was this game. And then we came out, and we weren't perfect. We'll get that in a second. We weren't perfect. But for us to be able to hold this Oregon offense, who certainly has some questions, you got Bo Nixon quarterback, you got a first-time play caller, but still, considering the circumstances, all the guys we were placing to hold them to 313 yards of offense, three points, 4.6 yards per play, I mean, that's a hell of a week one performance, and it's only going to be up from here. That's the thing. We're only going to get better from here, and that that has to be exciting for, for all Georgia fans out there. But, Curtis, again, like we weren't perfect. Great performance, but still some things to work on. What concerns do you still have about this Georgia defense? Inside linebacker. Um, that right now is my biggest concern. Yeah, I mean, I, I know it, they were out of position at times. A lot of that was like when Oregon was trying to get the ball in the perimeter, they were running a ton of pick plays. We were going heavy man coverage, 
and they were they were picking offense would call it rubbing defense you call it a pick play they were picking inside linebackers like crazy and uh, several times there was blatant offensive passing it's like they were like they were launching themselves into our inside linebackers to pick them out of the play I mean, I was waiting all day for them to, call, to, to, to throw a flag. It was almost like they were taking mercy on order, not calling those penalties. But they were in a lot of pick plays, and we were having trouble with that, getting around those plays. And we got to get better at that because other offenses are going to do that. So it's a lot of what offenses do in football these days. And obviously teams are going to watch what Oregon is able to do with some of those pick plays. Some of this, I mean, it's hard to call it success, but some of the successful plays they did have were using those kind of plays. So you will see some more of that. So we've got to improve in that regard. But I think inside linebacker is fair, Curtis. And this is probably one of my concerns coming this season. Um, stopping the run in general was one of my concerns. And Oregon, like Oregon didn't have an overwhelming amount of success running the football against us, but they still had too much success for my liking. They ran the ball for 140 yards, four and a half yards per rush. And that's what I told you guys coming this season. I was concerned about our ability to stop the run consistently with even numbers in the boxes. We don't have those. We don't have the quantity of dominant guys up front that we had last year. Guys like Jordan Davis, you have Jalen Carter. We have some guys that are good players, but not the guys that we had last year. And that was somewhat concerning to me because you have to, potentially get more guys in the box to stop the run that can open you up to, to basically be vulnerable to more explosive plays on the field in the pass game. But I was very impressed with what we were able to do against the pass. Yes, it's Bo Nix, but we were able to hold them to 4.7 yards per pass, Curtis. And, you know, losing the guys that we lost up front and we weren't able to pressure the way that we'd been able to pressure in the past. We had no sacks in this game to be able to hold up in the back end the way that we did. I felt that was very, very, very encouraging. All right, moving on here. One last thing before we get to our game balls. I don't want to overreact to one game. Don't want to do that. But very simply, Curtis, how good is this Georgia team? Are we as good as that performance would suggest? Or is this a mirage of sorts? And maybe Oregon's just not that good. I think we are that good. I think people have forgotten at the level we've recruited, thinking that we were just going to lose those players and not be able to replace them. And that's not the case. We can't replace experience. Talent-wise, that's not a problem. Is this a team that can go back-to-back? I think it's one that's definitely going to push the boundaries and push it to the end to see. It's going to, you know, they're, they're, not, they're going to be in there till be in this fight till the, till the end. I think we are that good, Curtis. I know it's well, – here I am. I say don't overreact, but here I am overreacting. But – I, I think what we saw on Saturday just kind of reaffirmed in my mind what I felt coming to the season. I felt there were three teams that could win the national title. I still feel there are only three teams that can win the national title. I felt Georgia was one of those three teams. I still feel like Georgia is one of those three teams. In fact, if anything, I feel like Georgia, I feel like we have a better chance to win. I feel like I feel like we were probably better than Ohio State coming to the season, especially with some of the issues they have had defensively. Alabama, I felt had more proven playmakers on both sides of the ball than we did. But after Saturday, I want Bama. I want Bama, Curtis. I'm saying it. I want Bama. I feel like I feel like we are just as good, if not better, than Alabama. I think we ha- again. I'll go back to what I said. I think we have the potential to be better offensively than Alabama. And I know you've never been able to say that about a Georgia offense under Kirby Smart, but I think that might change this year. We'll see. Got a lot of football left to play, but I think that's certainly within the realm of possibility. All right, Curtis. The last thing we've got to do here today before we check out of here is hand out some game balls. There are a ton of guys that deserve game balls, but we can't give one to every player of the team, which maybe after yesterday's performance, that would that would be fitting, but we can't do that. So each of us have three game balls to give out. Who are you giving yours to? Stetson, Kenny Mack, and uh, Malachi Starks. Stetson, Kenny, and Malachi. All right, so you took my top three. That's right. I'll go off the radar a little bit here. Uh, Curse Malachi Starks, that was an incredible 
debut performance of Malachi Stars. Now, he wasn't perfect. There were some plays where he wasn't where he was supposed to be. But still, I mean, you saw how good this guy could be. I mean, the insane highlight-level interception. How good can Malachi Starks be? Is this guy a, a dude that could potentially be All-SEC at some point in his career, if not better than oh, that? If, I think if not better than that. I mean, eight tackles, one pick, which was a highlight pick, and he could have had another pick on it. Like that one pick at, or one play at the goal line. That was a good pass by uh, Bo Nix, um, but yeah. Malachi Starks made an even better play cutting it cutting it off. Um so it just shows, and I think his ability on defense to go with his ball skills, the sky's the limit for him as a safety. Yeah, you talked about, you know, when we were doing our, our preseason look at the team, look at the depth chart battle, when we were talking about safety, we were debating on, like, how was that was going to shake out, who was going to start safety. And my position all along was I felt I felt Dan Jackson was going to be a guy to open the season as a starter, game one. But then at first I thought maybe it'd be David Daniel. And then we were starting to hear about Malachi Starks during fall camp. And he was making a move. And I felt like it was probably Malachi that would eventually take over because he's just that good, that talented. It's hard to keep that kind of ability off the field. How soon do you think Malachi Starks takes that starting job, Curtis? Um, I'm thinking full time after the South Carolina game. I mean, Dan started the game the first series. And Malachi comes in, makes that play, and he doesn't come off the field for a long time, Curtis. A long yeah, time. I, I, I'm going with after the South Carolina games. I think it'll be the South Carolina game will be similar to what we saw this past Saturday. But I think that they want to don't want to put him into a big time SEC game quite yet. Yeah, I mean, dude, look, Dan Jackson is a really good player, and I I think he doesn't get enough love for what he's able to do. And he's a better athlete than people want to give him credit for. That dude can play, 100% he can play. He he started half the season for his last year, and we still won the national title. So that dude can play. But as much as I love Dan and as good as I think he is, he just can't do some of the things that Malachi can do. I mean, Dan Jackson's not making that interception. It's just not going to happen. So as soon as we get more, I mean, look, it feels like we're pretty comfortable with him already because he played a ton against Oregon. But I think you're right, Curtis. Maybe by week three or four, you might see Malachi Starks take over that full-time starting job. And Dan's still going to play. Dan's going to be a part of this team. And he's going to be a part of this defense, a big part of this defense. But Malachi's, Malachi Starks is a dude that's just too good to keep off the field, man. So I'm with you on that one. So you said Stetson, Malachi, who was your third one? Kenny McIntosh. Kenny Mack. All right, so you at least didn't take Lad. I'm going to take Lad. Curtis, how good is Lad McConkey? Like, is Lad McConkey potentially one of the best receivers in the SEC? I think he is, um, but he won't ever get the credit. But I think he is. If he keeps playing like he did on Saturday, he might get that credit, Curtis. I think he might. Like he's, you know, coming this season, he was never gonna get that love because he didn't. You know, he had a good year last year, but he wasn't like that kind of guy. But it looks like we're trying to feature this guy offensively this year. And if he continues to play like that, I mean, he's just so versatile. He can play in the slot, can play out wide. He can you can get him involved in the run game. There's so many things he can do. He's that missing piece, Curtis. You know, I've, for a couple of years I was talking about, you know, how I wish we had one of those true like modern slot receivers. You run the, the option routes, the whip routes. You get him matched up on 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 star defenders who are like your third best corners usually on linebackers, on safeties, and those guys are almost impossible to stop. And I I was. Honestly, I was jealous of teams that had one. I wanted one. I wanted one badly. And Lad is that guy, 100%. And he's a guy, Curtis, you and I both said, man, like when we got him, you know, late in that cycle a couple years back, late in recruiting, was he was a last second addition to the class. And people were like, he's a three-star guy, undersized. People were like, why are we taking this guy? And we said there, we told people like, look, this is the kind of guy that if you don't take him and he goes to a place like Kentucky or he goes to a place like South Carolina, he's going to be a pain in your ass for his entire career. 
And I I was pumped that we got him because I thought he could potentially grow. And he was a little small coming in, but I thought he could grow into that kind of guy. And sure enough, man, he's just gone to work. And he has become that guy. He's honestly better than even I thought he could be. And that's pretty scary considering he's only a redshirt sophomore. So Lab McConkey definitely gets a game ball for me. I'm going to go Nolan Smith. I'm going to go on the defensive side of the ball here, Curtis. I know there were no sacks in this game. I know those are highlight plays you expect from an outside linebacker. But, Curtis, Nolan Smith continues to be a dominant run defender. I mean, a flat-out dominant run defender. And it's crazy to watch him in action defending the run because he's undersized. He's an undersized defensive end or outside linebacker playing on the line half the time. But the way he uses his hands, the way he plays with leverage, the violence in those hands to be able to, to shuck offensive players that are trying to get him out of the play, those tackles, those, those running backs, this guy is an elite run defender. And if he can continue to develop as a pass rusher, and we don't use him in that role as consistently as I think he, maybe he would like, and I think some fans would like with his former number one overall ranking coming out of high school. But I think people undervalue what Nolan brings to the table as a run defender. No, he doesn't put the sack numbers that we all would love to see. But in terms of, you know, when we lose all the guys that we lost in that defensive line last year from the dominant rush defense that we had, it's great to be able to return a guy like Nolan Smith, who I think was an underrated part of our success defending the run last year. And I think he was hitting the ground running on Saturday defending the run against Oregon. And final one, Curtis, this is not a player. We talked about him a little earlier. I got to go Todd Munkin, man. We talked about earlier Todd Munkin. I don't think we won the national title without him last year. And this, like people don't talk about him on the, on the national level. as one of the best offense coordinators in the country. We just gave him a raise up to $2 million a year. And I tweeted this out after the game. He is worth every single penny. Give the man five million. Give him the man $10 million. I do not care. Because if we are going to repeat as national champs again this year, Todd Munkin, once again, is going to have a major part. In fact, he might even have a bigger part in it this year. A mad scientist extraordinaire. That guy is the real deal. He's as good as there is in the country as an offense coordinator. And I will stand by that. I know people don't want to talk about him like that out there nationally. But I think pretty quickly, he's going to start to get that recognition. But all right, guys, that officially does it for us today here on our first recap of the 2022 Georgia football season. And man, that feels good to say, but we got a long way to go, guys. This was a hell of a victory, a hell of a way to start the season, but there's a lot of football to be played and we got to keep this thing rolling. And that's exactly what we're going to do here on this podcast. We're going to be rolling all season long. We're going to have recap episodes, mailbag episodes, preview episodes, picks of the week each and every week all of you guys who have been with us for many years now we love you guys we love each and every one of you and you guys know how we roll we're going to keep it going this season for our newer listeners we love you guys too and i hope that you guys enjoy what we have in store for you guys the rest of the season but for curtis i'm tyler and as always go dogs <laughs>